You're listening to Rootlock Radio. Hello and welcome to Rootlock Radio, a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. My name's Weston, I live in New York City, and I'm your host. The purpose of Rootlock Radio is to help people learn how to use the tarot. So if you're new to tarot, you might want to start with episode one. If you're not new to tarot, you can probably start wherever you'd like. Just keep in mind that each episode builds on the conversation that happened in the previous episode. In the last episode, we explored the concept of balance in the tarot, specifically the balance of gender in the major arcana, and the balance of the elemental energies in the minor arcana. Today we're going to delve into the major arcana and explore the cards of the first leg of the fool's journey in depth. We'll also introduce a new spread and talk about how to translate the meanings of the cards from the fool's journey into an actual tarot reading. Because today's show involves so much detailed information, I'm going to type up some show notes and put them on the Rootlock Tarot website. You can find those at rootlocktarot.com podcast. I've also added some notes for the previous episodes, including some pictures, so feel free to explore those too. That said, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Rootlock Radio. you're well aware of the fact that there are two different types of cards in the tarot deck, the major arcana and the minor arcana. Within the context of a tarot reading, the major arcana is usually said to represent more archetypal types of experiences, while the minor arcana cards represent more what people say are mundane experiences. Now the word mundane is a little bit troublesome to me, because it sort of suggests that the minor arcana cards are somehow less important than the major arcana cards, and I just don't think this is true. The difference to me is that the major arcana cards represent big archetypal experiences, the kind of turning points in your life that you'll always remember, whereas the minor arcana cards represent the day-to-day experiences, the stuff that actually makes up our life as we live it, and that's pretty important too. So when you're drawing cards in a tarot reading, and you get major arcana cards, think to yourself, this means a turning point, something big. When you get minor arcana cards, this means I need to focus more on the day-to-day stuff. I need to focus on the way I'm living my life in the actual day-to-day moments. Now in episode two, we talked about the two different types of balance that the tarot emphasizes in its philosophy. The first had to do with the major arcana, and that was the balance of masculine and feminine energy that ultimately leads to the enlightenment that we find in the world card at the end of the major arcana. In the minor arcana, we focused on the four elemental energies that we find in the suits, namely fire in wands, water in the suit of cups, air in the suit of swords, and 
earth in the suit of pentacles. So the difference here is that in our day-to-day -day lives, we should be trying to find a balance between what those four energies represent. So while the major arcana kind of represents this more long-term vision of how to live an enlightened life, the minor arcana represents more the short-term balance that you should achieve in order to have a satisfying day-to-day -day life. In this episode, we're going to start delving into the meanings of the cards in the Major Arcana. So we're going to set the Minor Arcana aside for the next three episodes. Now, I've introduced the idea of the Fool's Journey in the Major Arcana cards. And the concept is basically that as you go from card zero, the Fool, to card 21, the world, you can see a archetypal journey through human life. But this journey can also be broken up into what I call three legs. The first leg is the Magician, card one, through the Chariot, card seven. And this represents life from conception through adolescence. The second leg is card eight, Strength through card 14, Temperance, and this represents adult life. And the third leg is card 15, The Devil, through card 21, The World, and this represents end of life, including dying and death. At each stage of life, there are different things that we focus on. When we are young and we are between childhood and adolescence, we are focusing on development and becoming the people that we will be in the world. When we're adults, we're sort of refining our lives and figuring out what's important to us and what we want to emphasize. And then in the last leg of our life, we usually tend to reflect back and figure out what it all means. And this is true of the three legs in the tarot as well. So let's go ahead and get started talking about the first leg of the journey in the Major Arcana. most important ways that the tarot cards derive their meaning is through numerology. So as we go through the first stage of cards in the Major Arcana, I'm going to introduce some ideas about numerology having to do with the numbers 0 through 7. If you're really interested in numerology, Paul Foster Case's book The Tarot has a very in-depth explanation of numerology and how it relates to the tarot. Now that book is pretty in-depth and fairly esoteric, so I don't really recommend it as a beginner tarot book, but it does give quite good explanations of numbers on a number of different levels, and so you might want to take a look at that sometime in your exploration of the tarot cards. So as we go through the first eight cards of the Major Arcana. I'm going to introduce the numerology that we have associated with each card, what we see on the card itself, and the meaning that it has in the Fool's Journey. And then we'll do a little exercise that shows us how we might translate the meanings of each of these Major Arcana cards into the context of a tarot reading. So the first card, as we've talked about before, is the Fool, and the Fool is represented by the number zero. Now the zero is kind of the absence of everything. The number zero means that 
that nothing is there, nothing exists. But on the contrary, it also represents unlimited potential and freedom from all limitations. So it's sort of nothing and everything all at once. And for this reason, the number zero is often also associated with the concepts of God or the universe. Because God or the universe is also sort of everything and nothing at once. You can't find it anywhere specifically, but it's also permeating everything that exists in the world. Now if you look at the figure, the person on the Fool card, he's very carefree. He's standing on a precipice which looks a little bit scary, but he doesn't seem scared. You can tell he's on a journey because he has this bundle on a stick over his shoulder, but he's not burdened by his bundle. The sun is shining brightly, the sky is bright yellow which is a happy color. So what we get out of the Fool is that he doesn't really know anything yet, right? He doesn't even know to be scared standing on a ledge in the mountains. And so the Fool is representing sort of all potential. In the Fool's journey, the Fool kind of represents a person who hasn't even been conceived yet. So all that potential energy. So when you think of what you were before you were conceived as a embryo, what were you? You were sort of maybe everything and nothing at once. The Magician card is represented by the number one, and one is associated with beginnings, initiative, or the individual. And when you look on the card, we have a lot of fire energy. We have the color yellow, the color red, some orange. These are all fiery colors. The figure of the Magician is very erect. He's holding a wand. The sky behind him is yellow. On the table in front of him, he has a cup, a wand, a sword, and a pentacle representing each of the elemental energies. And above his head, we see the infinity sign. So remember last time that we said that the magician represented sort of a conduit of energy. Well, we can see that in the infinity sign. We can see that in his erect position, the way he's holding a wand to the sky and pointing to the ground. He is channeling pure energy. We also see a lot of flowers in the card, and those may represent fertilization. So that's what the magician represents along the fool's journey. It's the moment of fertilization where the sperm meets the egg and the individual begins. The individual suddenly starts to exist out of nothing. And there's some very interesting things about the idea of magic having to do with conception. When we think about a sperm going into an egg, and that being the moment that an individual starts to exist, it's almost impossible to really understand. And there's also something called zinc sparks that happen at this moment. There's sparks that fly from the egg that you can see under a microscope which is pretty magical. So the Magician represents the moment of conception. The High Priestess is card number two, and two as a number represents things like duplication and reflection and receptivity. We see a lot of water energy in the card. We see the color blue, which is associated with water, and we see a body of water behind the curtain. We also see moon imagery. So we have the moon that is in front of the High Priestess, and then we also have a full moon on her crown. And the moon is an interesting image because the moon is actually a reflector of light. So while the sun is the creator of light, the moon reflects it back. So this is something to think about too. While the magician has a very sunlit yellow background, the high priestess has this moon imagery. And here we have sort of a meditative and receptive energy as opposed to the active energy of the magician. She's not an active 
figure. So in the life journey, the high priestess represents the time of gestation, when you're in the womb. This is a time when you're not moving, you're kind of stuck in one place, but it's very meditative and comfortable. And a lot of times uh, when we want to meditate, we seek out womb-like atmospheres. We seek out baths in quiet places, or we listen to things like gongs, which sounds similar to the way the world sounds from within the womb. So again, the high priestess is the gestation period. Now, moving forward into cards number three and four, we see how the feminine and masculine energies in cards one and two are translated into the role of parenting. So while the pure feminine energy represented in the High Priestess is associated with water, the parental feminine energy which is represented in the Empress is associated with earth. And while the pure masculine energy represented in the Magician card is associated with fire, the parental masculine energy that we see in the Emperor card is associated with the element of air. So card three is the Empress. Now the number three in numerology is associated with things like development, growth, unfolding, multiplication, um, and we see a lot of earth energy in this card. So you'll recall from last time that the element of earth is associated with our home, our bodies, our work, our possessions, our money, all of the things that keep us grounded and comfortable. And this is exactly the role that our mother plays early in our lives. In the imagery of this card, not only do we see a mother figure, but we also see other earthy imagery. We see the forest and the garden. We see the cushions beneath her, which represent comfort. We see wheat growing, right? Wheat is associated with reaping, with work, with wealth. So what we have here is the mother of the tarot deck. And within the context of the fool's journey, the empress re represents the mothering moment of life. So when we are first born, we first cling to our mothers. Her body feeds us. She cares for us and keeps us warm, and she provides for us when we are helpless and can't take care of ourselves. So in the archetypal journey, the Empress is the great mother, and the mother archetypally is the person who you first rely on when you come out of the womb. Card number four is the Emperor, and number four is associated with order and structure and logic and wisdom and stability. One easy way to think about this is to think about a square which has four sides, right? It's a very stable structure. And in the four card, we have the air energy of wisdom. We see mountains and his stone throne and his armor, and it gives a much colder and much more airy energy than the Empress card. And here we have the father archetype. Archetypally, fathers are for guidance and discipline and support. So while our mother nurtures us, our father sort of guides and disciplines and supports us. So in the journey, the idea is that once your mother has sort of nurtured you to the point where you can be a little bit more independent, your father steps in and starts to discipline you and teaches you the rules that exist within the family and the household. And in a sense, this concept of disciplining and indoctrinating is continued into card five. 
And I'd like to pause for a moment and point out that oftentimes within both the major and minor arcana, when we look at a card in the sequence, there is often a, a continuation or a reaction against the card that comes before it. So in the instance of the magician to the high priestess, we see a reaction against. The high priestess is a different opposite foil energy to the energy that we see in the magician. But when we look at the high priestess into the empress, it's more of a continuation. The feminine energy is translated from this more pure feminine to this parenting feminine. And then when we go from the empress to the emperor, we see another reaction against. We go from the nurturing parenting energy to the disciplining parenting energy. And then from card four, the emperor, into card five, the hierophant, we see the evolution of the energy of discipline and indoctrination. So it's a continuation sequence. So the number five, which is on the hierophant card, is a challenging number. It's a number of transformation. And part of this is because it's the middle number between one and nine. So you can kind of think of it as a growing pains moment, the pain of growing from the first stage to the second stage. Five is also associated with meditation and adaptation and process. These are all things that are kind of difficult, and even if they lead us to good things, there might be some pain in the process. So the Hierophant can also be called the Pope, and this card is associated with institutions like school and church and the law. The figure we see is a priest. He is above the other figures on the card. We see some air energy in the cold stone around him, but we also see some fire energy in the colors of the card. And remember, fire is often associated with things like religion and spirituality. So the Hierophant card usually represents these institutions, like our churches, our schools, and the things in society that dictate the way that we're supposed to think and act. And the number five, remember, is a difficult number of transition. And so we might ask ourselves, well, do children really like to go to school or like to go to church? And the answer is kind of no, right? And the reason for that is that they're losing some of their freedom. They're no longer able to just kind of play and do what they want. They're starting to be told what to do. And that's what's represented in this Hierophant card, the way that society indoctrinates us. So while the Emperor card is sort of the household and the fatherly discipline, the Hierophant card is the discipline that comes with greater society and the institutions of society. So this card represents your schooling years in the journey. Now the next card is a reaction against this previous card, and that card is the Lovers. The Lovers is the number six card, and number six is associated with balance, equilibrium, symmetry, harmony, but most of all beauty. Six is the number of beauty. So when we look on this card, we see sort of Adam and Eve figures with an angel presiding over them. We have the sun shining with many rays, which represents pure happiness. And if you look at the landscape on the card, it looks very similar to the landscape depicted on the Ace of Wands card. So we know that we have a wands energy, a fire energy in this card, which we associate with things like creativity and sexuality. 
reality. And in the journey, this is sort of the moment of relief in adolescence through sexual expression. So while our father and our teacher and our priest have maybe told us to be a certain way, we have this moment of breaking away from it when our sexuality blossoms. So a lot of times teenagers really enjoy dating because it's such a freeing feeling and it represents sort of their own choice. No one can really tell you who to be attracted to or who to fall in love with. So it's sort of regaining the individual in this step of the journey. And then the number seven card is the chariot. Now the number seven is associated with things like safety and security and victory. And as we know, seven is often considered a very lucky number. People associate seven with a very positive feeling. So when we look at the card, the chariot, we see a man or some kind of figure in a chariot. He's adorned and protected and very confident. He's holding the magician's wand. There is a walled-in city behind him, again, representing protection. And we kind of get the idea that his role is to protect this city. So within the context of the fool's journey, the chariot represents individual agency, the moment where you really break away on your own. So this could be when you get your driver's license, and it's sort of that idea that now you're driving, now you're finally in charge, in control, you can decide where to go. Or it could be when you leave your parents' house and you're on your own for the first time. So the end of this first leg of the journey, the journey that starts with conception, is this moment of breaking away and being on your own and being responsible for yourself. the fool's journey and the philosophy behind the major arcana cards is one thing, but reading those cards within a tarot reading is another, and if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you want to know how to do that. So for today's exercise, we're going to do a three-card reading using just the eight cards that we talked about in the last segment. So if you have your deck with you, pull out those eight cards card zero, the fool, through card seven, the chariot, and mix them up as much as you can. It's kind of difficult to shuffle eight cards, but you want to make sure that they're mixed up and not in order. So what you're going to do is you're going to try to think of a situation, and you're going to draw three cards. So it can be something that you need some advice about, a dilemma you're facing, a choice you're having to make. So draw three cards, and the first card is going to be what to hold on to, the second card is what to let go of, and the third card is outcome. So then turn those over, and again, if they're upside down, put them right side up. So in my case, for the what to hold on to card, I have the Empress. For the what to let go of card, I have the Emperor. And for the outcome card, I have the Magician. So first of all, I'm going to want to look at this and just see if anything intuitive happens. I see a lot of yellow and red in these cards, which remind me of sort of fire energy, so it I think there might be some action. Each card has a person on it, a single person, so there might be some sense of individuality around this. And remember, this is skewed because we're only using major arcana cards, so if we mixed up the whole deck, we would think something different if we drew three major arcana cards, but since we're only using those cards, it makes sense that that's what we have. So for what to hold on to, I have the Empress. And what this tells me is that in the situation I'm facing, I should be holding on to the nurturing, mothering energy that the Empress card conveys. 
That could mean that I have to be nurturing. That could mean that I should align myself with a nurturing person. Anything sort of in the realm of that sort of mother nurturing earth comfort. What to let go of is the Emperor. And remember, the Emperor is the Father card, and it's very much about discipline. It's not always a bad thing to be disciplined, right? Athletes have to have good discipline in order to accomplish their goals. But what this is saying is let go of the discipline. So if someone is disciplining me a lot, maybe I need to ignore them. If I'm being too disciplined myself and that's standing in the way of me achieving my goals, maybe I need to kind of loosen up a little bit and focus more on the nurturing energy of the Empress card. So somehow I need to to let go of this disciplining energy. And the outcome will be the magician. So the magician is swift action, remember? It's sort of magical action. Something happens. The energy is conducted. And so that says to me that I'll accomplish my goal somehow. Somehow some swift action will take place. So say I'm trying to accomplish some sort of work goal. I have a project I'm working on. What this spread would say to me is I need to work on nurturing myself and being more gentle with myself and taking care of myself and I need to be less concerned with such strict discipline. And if I do, whatever blockage I'm facing will be unblocked. I'll find that swift action that the Magician card represents happens. So in addition to helping us learn how to apply these Major Arcana cards to a tarot spread, we've also introduced the new tarot spread, the what to hold on to, what to let go of, and outcome spread. While this is still a simple three-card spread like the past, present, future we introduced in episode one, it has a little bit of a different spin to it. So you may find situations where this is a more appropriate spread, and I urge you to add it to your repertoire. Rootlock Radio is written and produced by me, Weston. Music for today's show was provided by Shenandoah Davis and Jeray. You can find both of their information in the show notes. On the Rootlock Tarot website, you'll also find notes including pictures and specific information about the cards we discussed today. You can find that at rootlocktarot.com podcast. Do you have any questions or comments or things you would like for me to talk about on the show? Or would you like me to do a tarot reading for you or teach you tarot one-on-one? If so, please email me. You can reach me at rootlocktarot at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for Root Lock Radio.